0: Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me coming to you from one of the very small rooms at Vox Media Headquarters in New York City. In a few minutes, you're going to hear me talk to John Thornton, Uh, venture capitalist, uh, founder of the Texas Tribune. He's now running the American Journalism Project. That's a very good interview. Before we get there, just wanted to talk about a few things we've talked about recently on this podcast, and sometimes not on this podcast. Um, Item one, Bill Simmons, The Ringer, Spotify, as all of you know, Spotify is buying The Ringer. Zach Mack and I talked about that on a special semi-emergency podcast last week. At the time, I was speculating that uh, Spotify might pay around $200 million for The Ringer, And I was almost right. Uh, Lucas Shaw at Bloomberg reports that Spotify is going to pay as much as $250 million for the ringer. That's $200 million up front, $50 million over several years, continued on certain goals, and Bill Simmons staying there. So one, that's sort of an astonishing number, um, and a credit to Bill Simmons and the team that built that business, and specifically that podcast business, Number two, we don't know how any of this is going to play out for Spotify. It's going to take several years to figure out whether this was a good investment, bad investment, somewhere in between. So we'll be watching this for some time. If you're really into this stuff, there's going to be an SEC filing that's going to spell out uh, exactly how Spotify is structuring this deal. That should be coming sometime soonish. Item two, Parasite and the Oscars. As you guys probably also know. Parasite won the Oscar for Best Film, several other awards last, uh, last week, um, and we talked about Parasite and the Oscars on another podcast with my colleagues, like Frank and Alyssa Wilkinson. That show is a little bit of an Oscars preview, but it's really about Hollywood and the way Hollywood works today, how that is changing, specifically how Netflix is changing Hollywood and what Hollywood thinks about all of that. Uh, we, we sort of intentionally recorded this, that show as something that would work after the Oscars as well. So if you didn't catch that episode, go back and listen. It should still hold up pretty well. Uh, Allegra and Alyssa are wicked smart. Uh, you will enjoy listening to them. And last, something we haven't talked much about on this show, we will talk more about in the future, is Quibi. Um, you probably again know about Quibi because you listen listened to this show. If you don't know about Quibi, maybe you saw their TV ad during the Super Bowl. This is Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman's project. They're going to bring you premium short-form video, which they call a Quibi, no longer than 10 minutes. Uh, that thing is going to launch uh, for your phone only. It's going to launch in April. It's 5 bucks a month with ads, 8 bucks a month without. There is enormous widespread and justified skepticism about this project. Um, I would like it to succeed just because it's more interesting. If the thing everyone thinks will fail ends up succeeding. Um, I don't know what the audience for this stuff is. I think the pitch for Quibi is that people don't know what to do with themselves. And if they only had premium content to watch on their phone, they'd be much happier. I think people are quite occupied right now and there's all kinds of things to consume on your phone. The great thing about this is we're going to find out and we're going to talk more about Quibi over the next couple months. So more on that TBD. Okay, so here's my interview with John Thornton. Um, One note about that, we recorded this as you'll hear in late December of 2019. Like a fine wine, this has aged quite nicely. I think all of it still holds up. John Thornton is still running American Journalism Project. He references trying to find a new CEO towards the end. I think that search is still happening. Um, Again, he's a smart guy. This is an interesting problem that he's trying to solve, a very important problem he's trying to solve. And I liked listening to this conversation. I think you will as well. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me speaking to you at the end of 2019, although you'll probably hear this in 2020, with John Thornton, co-founder of the American Journalism Project. John wants to save local news, and by doing that, save democracy. It sounds like I'm being flipped when I say that, but I'm not. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. What else should we list in your bio? Uh, Former venture capitalist? Still. Still co-founder of the Texas Tribune? Founder of the Texas Tribune, still a venture capitalist. We had Emily Ramshaw uh, on this podcast uh, last summer, so if you listen, you know about her. And she's got a new project, you know. I know, and she she told me about it after we finished taping. And said, I'm going to be doing this thing. I thought she was going to do that along with the Texas Tribune. I didn't realize it was her own, a
2: standalone thing. Well, it's a terrifically exciting
1: project. She's great. Let's talk. I want to talk to you about your project. And if I can summarize it adequately, you are raising money, which you then want to distribute to small local news startups, um, you think that all the efforts to, to save failing uh, local news sites, local news publications, aren't working, are misguided, you have a new plan, I want to talk to you about that. You've raised about 50 million bucks, you've distributed eight and a half of it so far. Um, but before we get there, I want to I wanna understand how you got to this point. You have a day job as a venture capitalist. You've got a background, I think, mostly in enterprise
2: yeah. IT. No, that's right. Enterprise software.
1: What got you into the saving local journalism business?
2: Oh, uh, so go back more than a decade, 2000, late 2007, early 2008, I was serving as the managing partner of our venture firm. And we sort of woke up one morning and realized that we were underweight media relative to, sort of, our peer um, venture firms, and Tra- so...
1: Traditionally, VCs didn't touch media at all, not, and they not, got a little a lot. more
2: interested in it? Not 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 a lot. I mean, we, we uh, Austin Ventures, uh, was stage agnostic and really fairly industry ag- agnostic, and so, so our peer firm was probably 10 or 15 percent media, and we had essentially none, and so... We thought it would be a good idea if we were going to be contrarian and make sure that we were being purposely contrarian. And so— Meaning we, if we're not going to do media, let's have a reason for yeah, it? Let's have, yeah, let's have a reason for it. And so it took us—it took the the young team that was working for me about a hot second to figure out that this was not the easiest way to make money in the world. And so they went off to do other things. One, one of the things we did look at, though, briefly—this was just when the first— Distressed newspaper assets, and they, we thought they were distressed. Then, uh, by by comparison, they look great. But that's when they were just first coming on the market, and so we looked at a couple of those books. And this as, is
1: also the time, just for context, yeah. right? We're like the New York Times, all of a sudden, is in real trouble, has to take a high interest loan from uh, Carlos Slim. That's Carlos right. Slim, and, and sensible people are saying, is it possible the New York Times is going to go out of business?
2: Well, there, yeah, for a moment there, there was a. A sort of spate of editorializing about what should happen in the eventuality that not so much the New York Times, but the local papers yep. just went kaboom. What happened was that didn't happen. And so, we, but, but we looked at, at, at these newspaper properties, and I was just struck with the fact that it didn't look like the market was going to support the kind of coverage that we all had been accustomed to the sort of hard news at the local level that and, – and this is a very shorthand version, but the stuff that, that affects your decision when you pull the lever at the ballot box. And so I, I was struck by this notion of a market failure because I'm a very uh, – I'm a big fan of markets. And so when you when you see a failure, you pay attention. And so I'm an obsessive little dude. And so – Got very interested in this this notion of market failure in the local news. I just want to poke at this a little more because
1: I think a lot of folks who are in tech, a lot of investors, might say, mm, "Well, the market's failing. If, if newspapers are failing, it must be a, a they're not they're not fulfilling their purpose." Yeah. If there was a reason for them to exist, they would exist, and they would also point to pick a internet, especially tech news startup. They seem to be doing it okay, so these guys can figure it out, and or um, you know, they're just not very interested in what, what right. was. What was something about news that was of particular interest to you?
2: Well, there's the public interest, and there's what interests the public, and I, I've developed a pretty firm conviction that they're adjacent, but they're not the same thing. And so, in economic theory, there's this thing called a uh, public good, and and it, uh, so so local news, in our view, lives in the neighborhood of public goods and positive externalities, which is. A bunch of economic uh, big words for there's no real incentive to produce the kind of news we're talking about. And the fact that it's not widely consumed doesn't mean that it doesn't need to exist. What's
1: another example of a public good? This is a good idea just
2: to tease out for a second. Yeah, clean water, national defense, parks. We all need it. We all need it. But none of us individually is incented to produce
1: it. And, and then the other thing I wanted to ask about is I do remember around this time, there were people, there were uh, capitalist uh, VCs and entrepreneurs trying to poke at local news. And they would try things like, well, what if we could just aggregate a bunch of blogs? Right. And, you know, on their own, they're not going to work very well, but we can gather them together and that gives enough scale for advertising. Um, why not try some sort of? Version of that where you said, "Well, let, let's let's figure out a m- version the market can support."
2: Yeah. If uh, the problem is, it's the stuff we're talking about is expensive relative to the traffic that it generates, and so if you think about the stuff that you need to do your job as a citizen, it, it's largely accountability journalism. And if you think about that on a sort of spectrum of resource intensiveness from a database. The Texas Tribune, one of their first sort of discoveries was the public employee salary database, which was not terribly expensive to aggregate or maintain, but but generated pretty good traffic. That's on the less resource-intensive end. And then you go to the right and you go through beat reporting. And at the far right, you have the kind of Pulitzer team that, that big journalistic institutions field every year. The economics of accountability journalism particularly have never been good. Right. And, if you want to
1: aggregate local blogs, you might be able to get to a bunch of restaurant reviews.
2: That's right, and business openings. It doesn't
1: mean that's not a real thing. No, no, no,
2: no, it's not. And and, and so we talk about, and this is pretty received economic wisdom, I think, we, we talk about three kinds of information needs, what you have as a consumer, what you have as a uh, a worker, what you have as an audience member in terms of entertainment. Those three are pretty well covered, and so... Whether it's Eater, or Zillow, or or, or or some of the uh, the ways in which newspapers are still existing, th- those needs are pretty well covered. The fourth need, the need as a voter, is less and less well covered. At least is our um, assertion. I agree with your assertion. <laughs> it's
1: it's very scary, um, and I dip in and out of looking at local news solutions. And without trying to offend anyone, I have found. Very few that, that seem to work over many years. Yeah, I've, and- I've,
2: I've, I've just uh, gotten to the point where I'm just not very concerned about offending anybody. And 10 years ago, you know, 11 years ago, we were sort of patted on the head uh, when when we were running this this experiment at the Texas Tribune. And we're kind of told this is a particularly virulent recession, but the, the news geniuses, the media geniuses will, will solve this. And about every 18 months, it's been another solution that is supposedly going to save uh, save newspapers. And, and I've just gotten tired of listening to that because it's just not going to happen.
1: You're, you make for a good podcast. So, so in 2000, 2008, you say this is a problem that I want to solve that leads to the Texas Tribune. I, I don't think sure. we I'm thought we were going
2: to solve anything, but, but we, we thought that there was Evan Smith, my good friend, was then at Texas Monthly. I told him about this experience I had looking at newspaper placement books. And he said, well, you know, if you want to try that, Texas at the state level is as good as anywhere else to start. And I said, well, great, let's go do that. And and he said, "Uh, yeah, no way. I've, I've got a great job as the editor of Texas Monthly. 90, 120 days later, that began to look not so great. And so off we went. But it was never, at least for me, about Texas particularly, and not even particularly state level, although state house coverage is really, the economics are really difficult. It was about this notion that the market just didn't look like it was working in what we call civic news. And I just didn't see anything on the horizon that was going to make things uh, uh, anything but worse. And uh, unfortunately, that we were pretty right on that.
1: And, and, you know, by the way, I've seen people say, well, why couldn't you just put a camera in, in front of the, you know, local whatever board and, and tape that and then stream that? And you can. Yes, and. and yeah, that's part of it. And But if you want to know why just putting a camera in front of something doesn't work, look at the Trump administration. Well, right? like it, what happens on camera is only part of what happens.
2: Well, and, and uh, whether it's a camera or algorithms, all of those things, the good news, we hope, is that all of those things are going to drive the cost of what we call minimum viable journalism down. But it, it'll never get to zero, and it'll never be without substantial – human intervention. And so what we're really focused on, uh, particularly with AJP, is is providing the humans and particularly the humans on the business side of, of local news right. organizations. And,
1: and, and you're going to, you are both raising capital, you're going to contribute capital, you have ideas for how the, the papers themselves can raise more. I want to talk about all of that in a minute. First, we're going to hear from one of our sponsors, which keeps us in business.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: Still here with John Thornton, in from Texas, freezing in New York. Here's here. I'm going to give the top level summary of it what AJP is, what, what money, is doing. Yeah, you know what? It's in Minnesota. This is not kind of no, cold. No, no. It's cold in New
2: York. You guys want to raise five hundred million dollars over how many years? Well, we're starting with fifty. Yep. We have forty six million dollars in commitments first. Our first fund is targeted at fifty,
1: and the idea is overall you get to five hundred, and then you want to get other people to kick in five hundred. You get to a, you think a billion dollars can kind of solve the local news problem in America. I-
2: ish, it's a nice round number. That's where,
1: but that's sort of your stretch goal, right? Yeah, now. yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, alter the, the the way we come to a a billion. Is actually a billion dollars annually, but the way the math works, it's, it, it costs, we think, close to a billion in terms of one-time investment. But the way we get to a billion dollars is we think $2 billion has come out of local news gathering spend over the last 15 years. And we got very scientific and said, let's try to get half of that back. Uh, and so that's the billion.
1: Let's get half of that back, roughly put 25,000 journalists to work. Average $80,000 a year, all in. And so what you're doing now is you're distributing some of the money you've raised to small papers, some startups. Um, and these are, you have, you have an acronym that I think you guys most have coined, or maybe you didn't coin. CNO, yeah. which yep. means what?
2: Civic News Organization, and they are, none of them, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the the first grantees. I don't think any of them have any print products. So it's exclusively digital, exclusively mission-focused on, on, uh, coverage below the national level and, uh, exclusively nonprofit.
1: Um, so why, there's a couple things. Um, why do they have to be nonprofits? Why, why couldn't this be a for-profit business?
2: Well, it's kind of gotten us to where we are, and this is, this is a long, uh, the, the, the long version of this is really long. The short version is back to the idea of market failure. If, it, when I, I mentioned the four information needs at the top. What has happened in the history of newspapers is that once the first three, as a consumer, as an audience member, as a worker, once those are sort of met, then what's left over is divided between profit and meeting the fourth information need. And so what we think we've got plenty of data on at this point is that given the laws of physics or gravity or whatever metaphor you want to use in in media economics what profit there is or what loss mitigation you can do is just at this point always going to win over serving the fourth information need
1: so a, a for-profit business is just structurally unable to make is a you just think it just cannot work and there's evidence you now are seeing a decade plus of evidence that it's not going to work so you're saying we've
2: tried that let's move on yeah yeah v- very much so uh and and i'm not a new testament Scholar, but serving God and Mammon. You know, if you if you Google that, there are a, a, about a million uh, uh, quotes about why that's not a good. Yeah, there's been some work in that area. And and
1: you also list. I was looking through one of your papers where you're explaining other solutions people have tried, why they don't work. Um, just every other person that comes through this room and tells me what what they're doing is preaching the the gospel of subscriptions. That makes a lot of sense for some things, and mm-hmm. you say it's not gonna it's not gonna work for local papers.
2: So if you look at the earnings reports of the public newspaper companies that are reasonably transparent on this, and none of them is terribly transparent because the story is just not very good. They talk about how their uh, digital subscriptions are growing in the 30 and 40 percent range, but it's on just a tiny base. And so if, if you force your, your way through the math, which is more doable with some of them and others – you come to a very consistent conclusion, which is that for every buck they're losing on a year-over-year basis in advertising revenue, they're recovering less than a dime. And so um, McClatchy, I think, reported last quarter that the, the company has, has shrunk for 26 consecutive quarters. There's just, that there there is just no hope that Civic News is going to win in an environment where The idea is you pay as you go and you pay for what you read rather than paying for what society—solving for what society needs as a whole.
1: And there aren't enough people in any given community who are going to pay enough money to make a viable newspaper.
2: If you add up all the digital subscriptions in local news, and so not Wall Street Journal, not Washington Post, not New York Times— the nonprofit news industry is actually almost as big as that. And so that just gives you a sense for how minuscule a contribution that actually makes.
1: And then the last thing you say isn't a, it won't work is basically hope a billionaire buys us. Hope, hope Laureen Jobs Powell or, or invests in us as a philanthropy or maybe Warren Buffett buys us as a for-profit business. But, but hope a rich guy or girl buys us is not a good plan.
2: We're incredibly pro-billionaire. Uh, Very, very, very pro-billionaire. We think for the most part, though, uh, with the exception of the Washington Post, which Marty Baron was nice enough to give me an hour recently, and he told me how the first thing that that Jeff Bezos did was say, this is going to be a national paper, that that's the way the economics work. And so there's really nobody who recently at least has tried this on a for-profit basis who hasn't either thrown up their hands or in the case of of Paul Huntsman in Salt Lake City, converted it to a nonprofit. And so it's not out of the question, but I know that when my local paper um, came on the market 18 months ago or so, uh, and and I had wealthy, really civically big-hearted friends who who said, well, what do you think? And, And my response was, well, what are they gonna pay you to take it? Because do you really want to buy something that my thirteen and fifteen year old stepkids have never really heard of and, and won't have any reason to? What happened instead was it, it traded for four and a half or five times cash flow to Gatehouse, who immediately offered buyouts to not just the whole newsroom but the entire company, while putting on on the back page at the same time this sort of uh, uh, heartstring plucking plea to. Support journalism by subscribing to the Austrian American Statesman, which I just find to be complete and utter bullshit.
1: And this is this part of the problem, right? With the the you've you've got a stat in there. You you estimate fifty five percent of the local papers are now owned by PE firms. It's so which, something like that. Which it, by design it's are up. supposed to sort of strip them of. Parts well, and- it's
2: it's. I am not. I I don't blame. I don't blame anybody because again, I've I've spent my entire career trying to beat the market, yeah. essentially. And no, so so that's it, all these it's, guys it's are It's doing. capitalism, yeah.
1: right? And that, that's fine. But their job is to wring out efficiencies, um, try to salvage some value, and then find another buy it for five to seven years. But to ask people to subscribe to those papers as they're compressing them um, seems both like bullshit and that's also— it's pretty cynical. And, and also, I, I and and really also cynical. a hard sell.
2: Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. And it's an increasingly hard sell. And. And and what's happening in a lo- most, I would venture to say, newspaper properties is they've now been at this long enough that they can see what churn really is. And so net subscriber growth is flattening out, and, and it's becoming apparent to everybody that this is – tough. Uh,
1: By the way, the the LA Times, right, mm -hmm. used to be a national paper or or was on the edge of being a national paper, but certainly one of America's best papers. For sure. Has had all kinds of problems, now has one of these benevolent billionaire owners. We hope he is. Um, Gave them a lot of resources, said go sell digital subscriptions, and they have sold very, very few.
2: Yeah, it's it's hard. It's just hard. Uh, And at the same time, Digital advertising is shrinking for a lot of papers almost as quickly as print. Nobody really saw that coming. Facebook and Google have... Two thirds to three quarters share of all net new digital ads at yep. the local level, and so it's, it's just a really tough proposition. I wa- yeah, I want to come back to
1: Facebook and Google in a little bit. So let's talk about what your plan is. So you have you have sort of a three prong plan for these community newspaper organizations that you sort of want. The, you basically, you're sort of requiring them to sort of embrace this this economic model, right? What are the prongs? Yeah, what are the prongs? First of all, I just want to make sure, like, <laughs> yeah, what are the prongs, want. Which, which,
2: which version I, of the pitch do you have? What to are make, the prongs? I
1: want to make sure that But uh, the, 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 the requirement, as you're giving out money, you've got a bunch of requirements. One is that uh, all the news has to be free. Yep. You've got to serve the community. Maybe which, you can have a paid product. A big, but
2: b- a big deal and a, a controversy So one. you can't have
1: a paywall. You've got a, all this thing. All That's this right. stuff has to be there. But what is the economic model that you say is, is going to
2: work? So the heuristic... And it's easiest to answer that question if you think of starting from, from scratch in a market, although so far our investments have been exclusively in existing organizations. And this this will vary from case to case. But the heuristic that we're trying to get people to get their head around is you, you figure out what the sort of quantum of information that every citizen should have access to free of charge, regardless of their willingness or ability to pay. Figure out what that costs, which is not an insignificant exercise and subject to lots of controversy, but but just sort of bracket that for a second. Multiply that times two. So two years of kind of runway operating expenses, that's what the community needs to put up front. And then count on philanthropy, and, and that's philanthropic capital, then count on philanthropy covering at least 50% of the bills forever. And that's your planning assumption. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite with you here. So when you say
1: the community needs to put up, you go out to— Philanthropy. Right, but the, the two, there's two versions of philanthropy, right? Mm-hmm. There's You're saying we you need to get this 2X number. You need to go get that on your own? Oh, saying to the organizations, yeah.
2: in the case of AJP, we're saying— we'll go help you and we'll put up part of it. We're going to
1: help you get some of that that, that starter That's right. cash. You're going to go have to get some of it on your own.
2: We'll match you at some level and, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll go shoulder to shoulder with you in convincing your community why this is a good idea. But part of what they've got to understand is that like performing arts or like uh, parks or libraries, the community is going to have to foot half the bill and then we're going to try to help these things build the commercial, the membership, the corporate sponsorship capabilities to cover the other half, but it's just going to be half.
1: And so I'll try answering the prong question that I asked. So I I think the model, right, is we think that straight-up philanthropy is going to cover a third of the costs. We think corporate sponsorship, another another version of saying advertising, right, in some form or another, will kick in a third. Um, And then the rest of the third comes from... Readers. Readers. So you will will kick in on your own. We won't require you to, but in the same way that your local uh, NPR affiliate asks you for money, we're going to do the same thing.
2: That's right. With the the slight amendment to that is that as a planning assumption, we're saying it's not a third, a third, a third. It's more like half, a quarter, a quarter.
1: Got it. Um, Someone's got a great idea for a local community news organization they say, we've we got smart tech people, et cetera, working on it. They come to you and say, look, we can't – We our our community doesn't realize how important we're going to be to them. We can't get that initial uh, round of capital we need. Yep. So is there a bridge there? Or you go, no, that's literally the requirement. You have to prove it to them. For,
2: for now, it's it's sort of table stakes. And, and one of the places where we're vulnerable in terms of our value proposition, if you will, is we are not – Solving the need, the we're, we're not seeking out the neediest cases. We're not necessarily seeking out news deserts. We're not necessarily seeking out places where there really is no commercial base of support and there really is not much.
1: Like in a lot of cases, you're saying we're we're going to places that are first of all up and running, right? Like VT Digger, yep, it's in Vermont. Yep, it's always held up as sort of one of the successful local right. news startups. Saying we're going we're going to help you go faster.
2: That's right. That's right. And we're and we're going to we're going to help you. Hopefully, we've got two proximate objectives. One is to kind of put into the win column a number of organizations that we can say, okay, those we think are, air quotes, sustainable, and you've got to put air quotes on them because we haven't been through a recession in 10 years. That's one. And then two is we want to make investments that as efficiently as possible grows the news organization's ability to spend money in the newsroom. In our model, that somewhat counterintuitively, especially given the name, does not mean hiring journalists. It means hiring commercial sponsorship and membership and fundraising people, people. who go out shake the tree. You got it. Uh,
1: you got an interesting line in uh, in one of your planning docs that you guys are distributing. It said, "Growing too slowly <laughs> is expensive." So I get that for traditional VC investment, and that's sort of the standard standard point of view. And there's some counters to that. Why should, if you're running a local news organization, should you be thinking that way?
2: Yeah, well, d- don't get me wrong. I I is one, and shit tons of venture capital have gotten wasted by growing too fast. But, but, Which well, is fine if you're taking those bets because you right. expect two-thirds of them are going to fail or whatever uh, the number yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're giving me flashbacks. But, <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> the, almost any of us has experienced this either in our professional lives or – uh, in, in, in the nonprofit world, where if you literally have to make a nickel to invest in nickel, what happens is people get discouraged. Your best people go to places where that's not the case. And so an A person gets replaced by a B, B minus person who doesn't have the institutional memory and it's just sort of a slog. What we've observed is that it sounds pretty simple, but the news organizations that have done best have had some level of upfront investment so they can grow at a reasonable clip. They can invest resources in tech, in revenue generating stuff that they don't have to live kind of from, from day to day. And
1: so velocity is important, not not in the sense that like you say, you're not telling people to crank out. X number of blog posts per day or whatever the metric is. It's that you want the business to grow rapidly because that then sort of generates its own virtuous cycle.
2: The thing that, that the Tribune is probably best known for is its revenue diversity. And the reason that we were able to do that was we raised enough capital up front that we, before we had a media property to monetize, we had the people to go monetize it. And, and that's just pretty—that's that's very standard— In the venture capital world, I mean, I've I've never—I'm a software venture capitalist, and I've never seen a software company sell software if it doesn't have any salespeople. And so what we're suggesting is just like in in that sector, we've got to give these organizations the the sort of slack capital, the equity capital to invest in revenue-generating infrastructure up front. Um, I did
1: want to ask about this. You made a nice segue for me. Primarily, you, again, your career is mostly enterprise software. What's what? Um, I was looking at your list of stuff you're there now. There's maybe one company I recognize. What's your what's your either best known success or biggest success?
2: Oh, it's this is always such an embarrassing question because what I've spent my career on is systems and network management software, which is stuff that nobody's ever heard of. That's but, not embarrassing. But my first investment twenty odd years ago was a company called Tivoli Systems, which went public and was sold to IBM and became the the foundation of IBM's uh, systems and network management infrastructure. Um, more contemporarily, um, we were investors in SolarWinds, which is another systems network management company, 6 or $7 billion market cap.
1: And so besides the idea that if you're going to be successful, you need people on the business side and people who can sell stuff, or yeah. in, in the terms of – in the newspaper case, um, shake the trees – what else? What else have you learned in your investing and in enterprise software career that's applicable to what you're doing now?
2: It sounds corny and cliche, but leadership, 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 quality of people, culture, uh, a culture of delivering and doing what you say you're going to do. One one of the things that we learned over the years as a venture firm was, and it, it sounds like a tautology, but it's really not one of my mentors in the business used to say that companies that hit their numbers tend to hit their numbers. In other words, they know how to set expectations, they know how to plan, and they, they deliver against plan. And in the nonprofit world, there there's a tendency to sort of relax that a little Give bit. Give you a pass. Yeah, and it tends to be a little self-fulfilling, right? You You get a pass because you don't have the resources to to plan and predict and to uh, have excess capacity, and then you don't have the resources, and then you don't hit the plan, and you don't hit the plan, and you don't have the resources. Google and Facebook are
1: are hovering in the, the uh, right off stage in this conversation. Is here. that what they're doing? Well, You've mentioned him once. Um, and you can either be cynical and say they are announcing that they want to help local journalism because it's going to make people like me stop complaining about them. You can say they this is its altruism. They really do want to do this. Um, they both have made announcements where they're both pledging $300 million. It's vague how they're doing it. You say this is a problem that's maybe a billion dollars a year. Between the two of them, it's not quite pocket change, but it's pretty darn close to pocket change for Facebook and Google to kick in a billion dollars a year. Why not just make them hand that over? I mean, you can't literally force them to do right. it, but why not just make it, look, this is a problem that you have helped create, and you can easily solve it. Why, why not make that case to them?
2: Well, we, we make that case to them all the time in, in various ways. I'm always careful about using the word should in very close proximity to anybody else's money because they're running a business and they've got shareholders. And, and just like the newspaper companies, they've they've got to do what's best for their, their shareholders. But they I,
1: burn that money many, many, many times a year on things that are – they could easily part with that money. Yeah. And it wouldn't affect their business in any way. Facebook paid a $5 billion fine this summer. Yeah. It's a blip.
2: Yeah. Yeah, at the at the margin, I'm sure you could say that. I, I'm sure they hear that from a lot of different directions. Right, they could solve right? all the world's problems. Yeah, dig, you only dig into your couch and, yep. and 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 bail out my industry. But this
1: is directly related to what they do. It's they're they are both in the advertising business. It directly has impact on the business you're trying to save. It's not clean air or immigrants' rights, all of which are very important. I'm stop. Making up theoretical things they could solve, but this is this is a, a problem they have helped create.
2: Right, and and so their approach, for the most part, which is understandable if you're a tech company, is to try to apply their tech to making the business better, which works to a degree, but is not ultimately going to work in the way we need it to. Which is again that fourth information need, and both of them have been generous to some degree in in nonprofit. News. Uh, Facebook, particularly, just made a big investment in the Texas Tribune where they're going to do something they're calling RevLab, which is going to try to take best practices across both nonprofit and and for profit enterprises. But for the most part, it's nonprofit for both of them is sort of rounding error on the rounding error because they're a lot more comfortable saying, We're going to make these businesses better than they are saying. There's no effing business here, and so it's primarily a philanthropic pursuit, and we're just going to lean into that. That's not something that they have done to date, and maybe they will, but but we haven't seen. I mean, whenever big signs I
1: proposed to someone at one of those organizations that they should just write bigger checks. Yeah. They look at me like I have multiple horns and they also say something along the lines of we want to make sure that we are creating sustainable business and, and models. And that's where I just
2: call total bullshit. But that's also
1: what you're saying. We want a yeah, sustainable yeah, business yeah, well, model, well right?
2: uh, but, And, and here's, the, here, here's, the, here's the thing that tends to get trivialized, but it's kind of the whole ballgame, which is sustainable and commercially viable are not the same thing. Otherwise, there are all kinds of institutions in our society that wouldn't exist. Parks, libraries, hospitals. You, you, you get the joke. And so when it's Facebook or Google or newspapers or just uh, commercial media, commercial news, junkies or apologists, when they say, well, it's got to be sustainable to be – it's got to be – this is the line we hear. It's got to be profitable to invest more in the newsroom, what we're saying is that will never happen. And you can tech whip this to death and the trajectory of the last dozen years is not going to change. I like that you say bullshit a lot. It's good. <laughs> um, uh, it, mainly just in this line of work. It, it, it's Because it's, <laughs> it's really gotten a little, uh, I don't know if toxic is the right word, but apologists for commercial media... In local news are not doing us any favors because the, the line that I've taken to repeating is that the only thing worse than no hope is false hope. And so every erg of energy that goes into, and I'm all for membership, I'm all for digital subscriptions, I'm all for increasing the amount of our, our news coverage that readers pay for, but to say that that's the whole answer to the exclusion of what we know the air ball is, which has got to be covered by philanthropy, and to make really nonsensical arguments to the contrary, is just it's frustrating when you believe in this stuff like we do. So let's say we've converted some of the, the audience here to believers as well.
1: They can kick in money and just to be clear it's it's a straight nonprofit you the ajp is a straight nonprofit right, right. you call it you call it uh, venture philanthropy but That's it's, right. it's me giving you money i'm not getting a return
2: it is and and we confuse people when we talk about investment uh, because it, it really is just a, a straight up So i can write you, I can write tax you a check. deductible charitable contribution That's what right. what
1: else can i do to to help if i believe in the mission
2: well if you believe in the mission at the the sort of everyday citizen level Go support your local nonprofit news organization. Go seek those out, and the um, Institute for Nonprofit News website is is a really good place to start there. But the other thing you can do is is really just sort of in conversation begin to to raise this as a as an issue with with your various circles, because th- this is going to require a level of movement building that we're up for but is is not going to be easy. We think we need to increase the sustaining journalism philanthropy, so the annual philanthropic spend on journalism, by something like a factor of 8 to 10. There, I will say, I'm a lifelong
1: journalist. I don't know how to do anything else, for better and for worse. Uh, when I hear other journalists, um, and sometimes they run the the biggest and most important newspapers in the country, talk about the value of journalism, there is a little bit of self-serving pompousness and it I feel uneasy saying that because I literally believe the country needs these papers to exist or news organizations exist or we're in, we're, we're doomed. But it does veer into the self-serving and and you often you end up with newspaper reporters describing themselves as if they're firefighters right. or EMTs. Is there some any tip
2: you have for for suggesting that this is very important, but without coming off like a like a gas bag? Well, journalism for journalism's sake, is a pretty tough sell, whether it's to philanthropy or to somebody writing a check in a commercial transaction. When we were just getting started at the Tribune, I got really good advice from then-Governor Perry's chief fundraiser, and and she's like half my age, and she sort of pats me on the head, and she says, John, I really respect what you guys are doing here, but let me give you a tip. you got to stop using that word. And I said, what word is that? She said journalism. She said, in a conservative's mind, it just lights up liberal. And so what do we say? Okay, well, what do we say instead? Accountability, um, uh, centrist down the middle, good government, transparency—all of those are journalistic values, and all of those are the resource that's being delivered to society that we think makes journalism and democracy interdependent. But yeah, selling journalism for the sake of journalism, and and all of us in this community coming off like we're we're some sort of saviors is 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 a bit of a danger. I, I think there's actually less of that than there was a dozen years ago. I think I think both journalists and the public are a lot more woke to kind of what's going on here and 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 what the function of journalism both is and isn't.
1: Last question. Uh, one of the reasons you're in town here shivering is you're trying to replace yourself as CEO. How's that job hunt going?
2: It's going well. We've got a, a Job ton search, of interest. I guess. Yeah. Uh we we we've got a ton of interest. It's a bit of a needle to thread in the sense that we're looking for somebody who's really executionally oriented and can really enable this little team that we have to in turn enable these these news organizations to be more successful. And then this person also needs to be a leader, not one of many leaders, we hope of a movement that that really drives nonprofit uh, journalism as a, as a philanthropic priority. So, so it's not going to be an easy job. It's going to be a damn fun one. It's going to be a really important one. And um, we'll have that wrapped up, I think, in the first quarter.
1: Where do I have to live if I want this job?
2: You probably can't do this job very well in the next 18 months if you're not on an Acela stop.
1: Okay. If you want to be on an Acela stop, that means the Northeast Corridor, for those of you who don't have the Amtrak around you. Um, and you want to do this job, hit up John. I'm not going to give out his address because you can figure it out. That's Can, the first I, can I put in one more Go plug on it. that front? Yeah.
2: Bit. So one of the things that that we're trying to do here is make these jobs in the business side of nonprofit journalism a thing. Much like sort of Teach for America brought people into education a generation ago, even if they weren't going to do this for a career, for a life. Best and, and so, brightest
1: Peace Corps model.
2: Tour of duty, right? And so, so that's the other thing, I guess, that, that people can do is, is with their kids or the, the, your, yourselves and you're a disaffected tech worker and you want some, some meaning, some purpose in your life, this first round of grants is going to fund about 30 positions. Over time, we'll fund about 100. And it's really important that we get great people.
1: So if you don't want to make journalism your life, but you think it's important and you think you can help, maybe you're at Google or a Facebook you or got you, it. you got money and you don't love where you work, come work with John. Thanks for coming in, John. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to you guys for listening. Enjoy 2020 or, or good luck in 2020. Jelani's smiling. Okay. This is Rico Media. We'll see you next week.